0: We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. How many threes did Marcus make last year? A percentage of twenty-six. Want to know why they're leaving you open? It's because they don't think you could hit the ocean from the beach. One day, my daughter Jennifer just take over the store. I'm not taking over the store. What's wrong with the store? Okay, maybe not now, but I'm not taking over the store ever. Okay. I Next step is to fold in the cheese. What does that mean? What does fold in the cheese mean? He folds it in. I, I understand that, but how how do you fold it? Do you fold it in half like a piece of paper and drop it in the pot, or what do you do? I cannot show you everything. Okay, well, can you show me one thing? Coming up, some quick bites on the trail of the Chicago Seven, the Five Bloods, the Way Back, Shitz Creek, and Kim's Convenience Store. Welcome everyone to the Film and Food Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Roberts, and thank you again for joining us for episode 11. We have a 2020 Quick Bites edition coming up, but if this is your first time on the podcast, I wanted to say a huge welcome. We celebrate all things culinary and cinematic in film, so if you're a foodie or a cinephile or both, like me, this is the podcast for you. We produce film and food review episodes where we give a comprehensive review of a great foodie film, plus give you a film-inspired recipe to try at home. We also do quick buy episodes where we catch you up on great film and television from the past and present. And just recently, on our last episode, we launched a brand new format of the show, the Fantasy Film and Food Draft. This was an amazing episode where me and my guests, Andrew and Corey, drafted our ultimate Tarantino food experience from Quentin Tarantino's filmography. It was a lot of fun. So make sure you go check out that one as well so make sure you check out all our other episodes and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform thank you so much for your support let's dive into this week's episode this is our third quick bites episode and in a quick bites episode i will give you some quick film and food related thoughts on everything i've been watching lately giving some quick insights and discussion as well as giving you a quick bite recipe or two from the film and tv that i've been watching so in this episode we are catching up on some 2020 film releases as you know the coronavirus has really impacted theaters and a lot of 2020 new release movies are available on different kinds of streaming services so all of the film and tv that i'm reviewing on this episode has been released in 2020 and is available for you to watch on netflix Plus, I'm giving you an amazing cinnamon scroll recipe for you to try at home, as well as great recommendations for you to catch up on some of the great film and TV that is available from this year. So this format is a fun way of catching everyone up to date with the latest that I've been watching, giving my quick thoughts and recommendations as I don't always have the time to do a full film and food review for everything I've watched. So, of course, this edition of Quick Bites is our 2020 catch-up edition. Okay, without further ado, let's dive into our Quick Bites starting with the films. Our first Quick Bite is for the 2020 film The Trial of the Chicago 7. The Trial of the Chicago 7 is written and directed by legendary screenwriter Aaron Sorkin. This is his second directorial effort after 2017's Molly's Game, but of course, he's written many, many famous scripts. Like a few good men his work on the tv show the west wing and his oscar-winning screenplay for david finch's the social network here he's producing arguably his most awards friendly film to date and netflix is pushing this for the 2021 oscars in every single category and i was blessed enough to be able to go and see this in a theater There's been a number of different Netflix movies that come out on the big screen for only a week or two before they're released in cinemas. And I've been lucky over the past few years to catch some of the big award seasons movies in a theater. And this was no exception. Shout out to the Hayden Orpheum Picture Palace. I was able to go and see this film with my friend Caleb. And we had an amazing time. We're blessed in Australia still to be able to attend movie theaters. Our cases are still quite low credit to the Hayden Orpheum for all their safety procedures. They have beautiful theatres and we sat In a very limited crowd socially distanced and we watched the movie this was a really sensational movie to watch on the big screen if you're not aware already the plot of the trial of the chicago seven is as follows the story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 democratic national convention in chicago and as you can probably already tell as i've been reading that plot synopsis This movie feels incredibly, incredibly relevant to everything that is happening in the world today particularly in the political and social justice climate in the United States and this is an incredible feat I believe Aaron Sorkin had been working on this screenplay for a while and it was in Steven Spielberg's hands before Aaron Sorkin even got onto it and the fact that it was released in amidst all the rioting and pleas for social justice in the United States makes this film very poignant and resonant to the current political state the current social justice state of the worlds and so you can't help but be shocked at how surprisingly relevant this movie feels throughout its whole runtime and of course with an aaron Sorkin script you're expecting this whip snap witty almost rhythmical dialogue that charges the movie and moves it along at a frenetic pace of course people don't speak like this in real life but people don't speak like they do in the movies in real life anyway. And Aaron Sorkin has been known to say that he approaches his dialogue like music. He's trying to find rhythm and beats and trying to bring an energy through the dialogue to the scene at hand. I really enjoyed his writing here in this film. He has a wonderful, wonderful cast of actors, including... But not limited to Eddie Redmayne, Alex Sharp, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, John Carroll Lynch, Yahya Abdul Mateen II, Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon Levitt, Franklin Jella, Michael Keaton, Kelvin Harrison Jr., and Danny Flaherty. And with this superb cast, you can tell Aaron Sorkin had a lot of fun riding the, the different characters, their different political leanings, as well as bringing them together to produce tension, to produce conflict, and to have a discussion about the political climate. In the time of 1968 Illinois Chicago but also to have a discussion about the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans and everything in between even today in America and speaking of the ensemble wow what an ensemble this might be the most star-studded ensemble that I've seen in quite a while and all members of the cast are sensational and bring everything they can to their roles and the casting was really really well done I can't really single out someone who was the best in this film, but I do have some favourites. Mark Rylance is brilliant as William Kunzler. He has this quiet energy that Mark Rylance is so good at portraying with his face and this, this strong central emotion that he carries throughout the whole movie. And he's able to explode and emote in moments with what feels like a full force of character behind it. And he was particularly excellent. You also have... A stirring performance by Yahya Abdul Mateen II, a purposefully campy and almost over-the-top performance by Frank Langella as the notoriously awful Judge Julius Hoffman, and it was also amazing to see Michael Keaton show up in this movie for five minutes and just completely knock it out of the park. This is probably a front runner for all of the ensemble awards coming up in the award season as well as probably landing at least one or two of the ensemble in the best supporting actor race as we move along into the award season. I know Sasha Baron Cohen who plays Abby Hoffman is a particular front runner in that category and he is also really really great in this film. He plays a character that feels quite different to him, quite a change and his relationship with Eddie Redmayne is some of the best parts of this film. And like I said, I had a brilliant experience in the theatres watching this. It harkens back to some of the crowd-pleasing courtroom dramas of the 1990s and it almost does feel like a Spielberg movie as you go along. Some have criticised it for being overly sentimental and maybe not being nuanced enough to discuss with the issues on hand in an appropriate way. On reflection after watching, I do find some of those criticisms a little bit more valid but it doesn't take away from the excellent experience I had watching this movie i was captivated for the whole two hours and i was terrifically stirred emotionally through the ups and downs and the different beats of watching this trial play out and the different results that it brings about for each character and a key thing that keeps this movie at such a frenetic pace and keeps you so invested and keeps you going is the editing the editing by alan baumgarten is some of the best of the year so far There are particular moments where characters are talking about things in the trial, they may be sharing a story, and instead of just seeing the conversation play out between the two characters, we actually have flashbacks that are intercut in the narrative as the narration is going over and so we may be hearing the story being retold in the courtroom but we are visually seeing it play out as it happened on the day when that fateful democratic convention happened in 1968 and this editing completely draws you in and engages you visually and i do think that aaron salkins direction is at his strongest when he's moving the camera when he's actually attempting to move the camera and use blocking in these different riot and protest scenes I do think that Aaron Sorkin is a better writer than he is a director. I think he kind of understands that as he... In a courtroom drama, you aren't expecting incredibly staged scenes. It's a lot of back and forth. It's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of just static frames. And so there's nothing too particularly flashy about Aaron Sorkin. However, I do feel like he did a good job, a pretty adequate job. But his writing really sings out here. And I had a terrific time watching this movie. When I say terrific you also have to confront the realities and the injustices and the systems that uphold the western and the american judicial system and the way that justice is brought about in this film the movie criticisms the american police system the judicial system and the judge in the movie itself and one can't help but walk away feeling like these systems ultimately need a change. And as we've lived through 2020, it is it is clear to see that there are definitely corrupt and unjust people making huge decisions about people's welfare in our huge particular institutions and that our democracy is so, so important in this moment. The movie is also shot beautifully by Feed on Papa Michael and it has a stirring score by Daniel Pemberton. So, if you love a courtroom drama, if you love witty, snappy dialogue, and you are looking to have a good time that will also help you engage with some of the issues that are going on today, then I can't recommend The Trial of the Chicago 7 enough. Yes, it may have its flaws at moments. It becomes particularly cheesy or sentimental, even towards the end. However, and at its best, The Trial of the Chicago 7 doesn't hold any back in its brilliant, sharp filmmaking. So, this is... So if so over the next four to six months as the Oscar season starts to begin, you're gonna hear a lot about the Trial of the Chicago Seven and it's a really, really great film. So if you are interested in this film, I recommend you go and check it out. In terms of the food in the Trial of the Chicago Seven, they're most, in terms of food in the Trial of the Chicago Seven, the filmmakers and the actors are more focused on the courtroom itself, which I definitely cannot blame the film which I definitely cannot blame which I definitely cannot blame the film for. So there are only occasional few glimpses of food in this movie, but nonetheless, this is an excellent film that I recommend if you're into political courtroom dramas. And of course, you can go and check out The Trial of the Chicago 7 right now at home on Netflix. Okay, our next quick bite is for Spike Lee's 2020 film Five Bloods. The Five Bloods tells the story of four African-American vets who are battling the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. Spike Lee, coming fresh off his Oscar win for screenplay for his 2018 film Black Klansman, returns in 2020 with his new Vietnam War movie, The Five Bloods. And this movie was released in Netflix back in the middle of the pandemic, however I hadn't got around to watching this one, but there's been quite a strong response to the film and I was really interested to check out his work. The only other Spike Lee film that I have seen so far is his 2018 film Black Klansman, which was very, very impressive and was definitely one of the best films of 2018. And of course, I really want to go and check out his other works. Spike Lee is known as an aggressively bold filmmaker who is ambitious and is willing to put his heart on his sleeve in every film he makes. So there's no such thing as a dad really for Spike Lee because you can admire the ambition and what he's trying to say in the films that he creates. And it's safe to say that all of his films are trying to send a message. They have a unique perspective. And as we see in this film, he's definitely against The actions of the American government sending a lot of African Americans over to fight a war that he believes hasn't really ended for the people who were involved. And this is the premise of this film. We have four American veterans who together were known as the Bloods, and they are going back to find the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune that he helped them hide. That really isn't a spoiler because there is a lot more to the film that happens as it moves along. So, What did I think of The Five Bloods? I was particularly affected by this film, which I give credit to Spike Lee for. Fair warning, this is a tough watch and it leaves you emotionally affected and it really leaves you thinking about all of the different issues and themes that you've been watching in this film as you go away. And that is what I love about Spike Lee. I can still remember leaving the theater after Black Klansman and just being so affected and so angry and thinking about all of the injustice and all of the different things that I'd seen on screen and to that I give Spike Lee credit. He uses his films to send a message and his brilliant filmmaking engages you at a deeper level so that you can really wrestle and really think about what you're going to do about the different issues that are alive today that are presented in his films and yes I've realized that this 2020 update of Quick Bites is a little bit more political and I don't really want to dive into too much of my political leanings however I just want to talk about these movies and 2020 is an election year in the United States it's no coincidence that these political films continue to get made and I know that some people don't like politics coming into their films or they don't like their messages coming into their films and unfortunately. Art is one of the key ways to talk about and to discuss and to think about the way the world works. And the political system is obviously a huge part of the way that we all live in the different countries we live in. And so we need people like Spike Lee who are willing to put their ideas out there, who are willing to have us in the theatre talking about things that maybe we wouldn't be talking about on our own. And so I probably admired this film more than I loved it. I really did like it. I just don't know if I'd go to the point of loving it. It is remarkably engaging and remarkably ferocious in the way that it grips you throughout the whole two and a half hour runtime. However, this is maybe one of Spike Lee's messier films. And admittedly, this might be on purpose as our key lead, Delroy Lindo, is someone who's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and who himself continues to unravel throughout the film. And with that, I know I forgot to mention the cast. So, we just mentioned that the lead in this film is Delroy Lindo, as we also have Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Paul Walter Hauser, Jasper Pakinen, and Melanie Thierry. And, All of the actors in this film bring a real weight to their roles. Obviously, to have these people coming back to Vietnam with all of the memory and all of the trauma and all of the pain that they've been carrying in their roles for 40 years as they go back to the place that caused all the trauma and the pain... These performances have to be emotionally affecting and really lived in. And I give credit to the whole ensemble for the way these performances feel so real and genuine. However, I've got to give my shout out to Delroy Lindo who plays Paul in this film. One of the Bloods who who has been particularly affected by the events that occurred regarding the death of their fallen squad leader. As well as the post-traumatic stress that he's been living with over the past 40 years it is worth noting that paul wears a maga hat and he really has a lot of anger and a lot of pain and a lot of contempt about the way he's been treated in the world today and that has changed his leanings politically to the other members in his squad and that plays out as a key plot point throughout the film however we see this in an almost heart of darkness style As these men engage on their journey and go and try and find their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune, thing after thing happens that makes them unravel, that causes pain and tragedy, and we just see that the war really hasn't ended for the people in this movie. It hasn't ended for the Bloods. And they have to wrestle with their legacy. They have to wrestle with the fact that 10% of the population in, in America is African-Americans at the time of the Vietnam War. However, 32% of the soldiers fighting in the Vietnam War were African-American. And there is, of course, a lot of contentious debate about whether the Vietnam War was even a war that America had to fight anyway. And so fighting against Vietnam is and the communism that was entering their country that was potentially going to infect the rest of the world and the legitimacy of the American War effort and the cost of the live cost on the lives of the people still living, the veterans who made their way and survived through the Vietnam War. This is a powerful film with a powerful, powerful, incredible performance by Deroy Lindo and the rest of the cast. And one can't help but walk away feeling like They've been through the journey with all of these different people. And I admire the way that Spike Lee intercuts different sections of history and different photos of different people who have been incorporated into the story. Like there's photos of the 1968 Democratic Convention, which we were just talking about in The Trial of the Chicago 7 and there's mention of the assassination of Martin Luther King. Spike Lee knows how to connect these, connect his movies and these stories into the events that have shaped American history and to the extent world history. And he's able to then bring us into that and help us confront what we're going to do about our decisions when it comes to living in the world and our vote and the way that we think about the people who have been treated the worst in our society like i said the movie isn't perfect it definitely sprawls maybe a bit too much and there are some characters that show up in the movie that i didn't think were that necessary to tell the story of this film we have some i feel like i have some issues with some characters where i don't feel like i get enough depth from them that it was probably a bit too sprawling and i like sprawling movies that take their time and i do really like this film however I didn't think it was as sharp as his 2018 film, Black Klansman. Nonetheless, I think this is a pivotal, vital film and I really recommend that if people are willing and able to handle with a little bit of intense violence and a little bit of intense um, blood that comes from watching a film like this, that this is a really necessary experience whether you like the film i don't think what spike lee is going for i think he's trying to say something and whether you agree with what he's saying i think it is worth listening to his voice as an african-american director in america this is a tentative recommendation i know that this movie isn't going to be for everyone but if you're interested in watching something that is really confronting the issues of the vietnam war that is really well told with terrific performances if you are not someone who can handle maybe the more intense aspects of this film then maybe this one isn't for you nonetheless spike lee has made a really really good film here it's definitely not a bad film in any way shape or form it's just I liked his last film, Black Clansmen, a little bit better. And so before we move on to our next quick bite, there isn't too much food in the movie The Five Bloods. There is a particular exchange on a boat with Paul and another Vietnamese man about a chicken and we see lots of food in that scene and that's a particularly interesting scene that relates to the themes of the movie. But apart from that, it's your usual dinner camping kind of food scenes that there's not too much food but again i don't think spike lee is really thinking about using food in his filmmaking in a story like the five bloods i think his focus is of course on the bloods themselves and their adventures and misadventures going back into vietnam to find their fallen squad leader so this is a recommendation from me again it's a 2020 film that feels particularly relevant to the issues that are occurring today And Spike Lee is one of our most unique and powerful and passionate filmmakers. So it is worth checking out every single film that he does. I just warn those who can't handle or don't really want to see the particularly intense parts of this movie. That there is some strong action and some strong blood and gore in this film. So I was impressed with this movie and I look forward to seeing what Spike Lee does next. And of course you can catch... And of course, you can catch the Five Bloods on Netflix right now. Okay, moving on to our third and final film that we're going to talk about in this 2020 catch up edition of Quick Bites, we are shifting gears almost entirely to the Gavin O'Connor film, The Way Back. The Way Back is the story of Jack Cunningham, who was a high school basketball phenom who walked away from the game, forfeiting his future. Years later, when he reluctantly accepts a coaching job at his alma mater, he may get one last shot at redemption. The Way Back is a 2020 film on Netflix right now, directed by Gavin O'Connor, who is known for his sports films, including Miracle and the 2011's Warrior. And in The Way Back, we have the lead performance of Ben Affleck in the role of Jack Cunningham. And after watching two very good, but also very heavy and very, emotionally affecting films like the trial of the chicago seven and five bloods i really needed something that was a little bit more comforting and evening a little bit more campy a little bit more fun something you can just sit back enjoy and not think about too much and i heard lots of good things about this basketball movie and so i watched the way back there's been a lot of buzz about ben affleck's performance in this role as we said before jack Cunningham the role that Ben Affleck plays was a former successful basketball player who walked away is now suffering with depression with grief and he accepts a new coaching job in the hopes of revamping his life and finding redemption and trying to break through the pain that he's been living with over the past years and of course many people have pointed to the fact that this role for Ben Affleck is very meta to the struggles that he is going through in real life Ben Affleck of course is a very talented actor and a director who in 2012 directed Argo which is a best picture winning film at the Academy Awards. However post his roles in the Zack Snyder Batman movies he himself has been struggling with depression and with alcoholism and has himself gone to rehab and this movie feels like therapy for both the man and the actor in the role of Jack Cunningham and sticking with ben affleck he really brings a level of maturity to this performance it may be one of the best that he's ever done you can really feel the anguish and the pain and the wrestle and the struggle that he goes through as he teaches these kids he wrestles with the things that are going on in his life and he's sort of sitting in the anchor that's sort of mellowing and a part of his life and you know, allows the anger to burst out in different moments, like when they lose a basketball game to a referee call, or when he's questioned by his sister about his ex-wife calling him. So this movie with the character of Jack Cunningham, played by Ben Affleck, is more than just your typical basketball movie. However, however, don't expect too much originality from the plot in terms of the basketball. The basketball follows a very similar beat-by-beat plot of a underdog team that rises to the top and admittedly it's so so fun to watch the basketball scenes in this movie are really great it's really awesome to see Jack Cunningham in his element working with his team and see them rise up in success however that balance with Jack Cunningham's real life struggles of his wife that he's separated from and different things that are revealed through the plot of the movie that have been affecting him over the past years and he struggles as he tries to overcome his alcoholism and this movie literally for ben affleck and for jack cunningham is testing whether this is really the way back for him into a life that is more healthy into a life where he is not hurting those around him and not hurting himself and is able to overcome the depression and pain and anguish that he's going in the film and i really like the ending of this film and the way that it really didn't sort of over sentimentalize jack's story and was a little bit more realistic and so i found that that balanced out maybe some of the more cheesy or campy parts of the story that seemed beat by beat with your typical sports movie this also has a great score by rob cement who uses dramatic piano to bring a sense of brooding and dread and sort of dark claustrophobic atmosphere around jack and that really lends well to us empathizing with his character and so i think this is just a good sports movie it's only an hour and 45 minutes if you've got a spare hour and 45 on a rainy day on a saturday and you're just looking for something that is going to challenge you a little bit but something that is just a good comfort basketball movie well then i would definitely recommend this it has a good story both with jack Cunningham's life and the basketball story and it is stirring, and it is engaging, and it moves by really well, and I found it a really good time. I do feel like that the story's not that original, and that maybe they could have focused more on one aspect of the story. I feel by trying to balance Jack's personal life and Jack's coaching that we kind of miss out on the team dynamics. We don't really get to know anyone in his team, and we sometimes don't understand Ben Affleck's character motivations, but nevertheless this is a really good movie if you're into a dramatic sports movie if you love basketball like me then i reckon you're going to find this a good time i don't know if it's going to be anywhere near award season maybe for ben affleck but nonetheless it is a good good time there's not too much food in this movie there are a lot of beers because you know ben affleck he is an alcoholic in this movie but if you love basketball, if you love sport, if you love a stirring story of an underdog and you want to see one of Ben Affleck's greatest performances, well then this is an easy recommendation. It's on Netflix right now. Gavin O'Connor's The Way Back. Great. Well, those are three movies that I've watched to help me catch up on my 2020 watch list. So if you don't know this already, I have lots of lists that I keep updated on on my Letterboxd profile. If you don't know what Letterboxd is, Letterboxd is an app that you can get on your phone, which is like a social media for film lovers, for cinephiles. So on this app, I log and record every single film that I watch, I give it a rating, I give my quick thoughts there, and I also have all of my lists from about the last eight to 10 years or so of films. So I have my updated 2019 film list, my updated 2018 list, And this is a way for you to know what my favorite films of that movie were. So you can see, you know, 1 through to 30, all of the movies I've watched from that certain year and what I recommend. This is kind of what I was doing with this edition of 2020 Catch-Up, is that usually I'd be going out a lot to theaters around this time as all of the 2020 movies start to be released in Australia. But we have an incredible opportunity at the moment that we can do a bunch of this at home a lot of the new movies coming out in 2020 are going to be on netflix they're going to be on apple plus they're going to be on hulu they're going to be on amazon and we get to watch this from the comfort of our home and so yeah i feel like i hadn't watched many 2020 movies yet and so i was trying to catch up by watching a few of the big ones and i still have a few to go which you'll probably hear more about on the next quick bites episodes as we go along this was a little bit of a plug for my letterbox profile if you go on the website www.filmandfoodpodcast.com you can click on the menu and go to my letterbox page and that will just link you right over to there and you can follow me create your own account if you're interested in that but even just checking out my profile you can see what i've been watching lately you can see my lists on all my film years different directors filmographies like maybe my favorite tarantino movies or my favorite pixar movies and it's just such a fun little community that if you're a cinephile i can't recommend enough And it's a good way for you to check out where all of the films that I've been talking about in 2020 rank ultimately on my 2020 list. And maybe not at the end of the year, but in the first few months of 2021, I will be really excited to share with you my 2020 top 10 list, plus give out some other fun movie awards as we go along. So this is a bit of a motivation for me to try and catch up with the 2020 movies. And that means I can share more with you and I can have that list as robust as possible and see all of the different movies that have come out from this year okay now we're going to move into two tv shows that their final seasons have been released in 2020 and those tv shows are schitt's creek and kim's Convenience. so let's talk about schitt's creek as i've mentioned on my quick bites episodes already i am a huge fan of comedy tv shows they are just like comfort food to me and i've watched a whole bunch of different shows over the past few years and if any new comedy show comes out or comes onto my radar, well, then I'm really keen to go check it out. So over the past few years, I'd heard about Schitt's Creek and just hadn't really got around to it. I hadn't really got around to watching it. And this year at the 2020 Emmys, Schitt's Creek did something unprecedented by winning all seven of the Comedy Primetime Emmy Awards. It won Best Comedy Series. It won all four acting awards, the Writing Award and the Directing Award. And it swept for its final season. And me and my wife had this recommended to me by some of our family members and so we dove in to Schitt's Creek and we absolutely loved it. If you're not sure what Schitt's Creek is, it is the story of when rich video store magnate Johnny Rose and his family suddenly find themselves broke and they are forced to leave their pampered lives to regroup in the town known as Schitt's Creek. The series is created by the father-son duo of Dan Levy and Eugene Levy also stars dan levy eugene levy Catherine o'hara annie murphy chris elliott emily hampshire jennifer robertson and sarah levy as we've been watching this show we've uncovered more of the story behind it it's so so cool to see that dan and eugene levy are a real life father-son duo and that together they've created a show which they also star in that is so great and is so filled with positivity this show launched in 2015 on the Canadian Pop Network and it was this underground, undercurrent show for a few years before it was finally put on Netflix around its fifth season. Then the popularity of the show absolutely skyrocketed as more and more people and as more and more celebrities and people in the film and television industry found out what an absolute delight this show was and I think the greatest part about this show is the characters and just the overall positive outlook that this show has initially we are with the Rose family who are stuck in a town that their dad bought as a joke for their son and obviously their attitudes and their feelings and their thoughts about having all of their wealth and status removed and being left in this town in the middle of nowhere to resort out their lives and to start again you know their characters take a little while to get into but as we grow and as we see these characters grow over six seasons you can't help but feel like you are part of the Rose family and that you too are a member of the town of Schitt's Creek. It seemed like every season of this show the writing the directing the costumes the acting and the storylines just got better and better as Dan Levy, Eugene Levy and the rest of the cast got into their roles and got the hang and the identity of the show that they were creating and schitt's creek manages to do what a lot of comedy shows can't do which is to balance humor with a heartfelt story along with relatable characters without seeming too schlocky too campy or too overly sentimental it balances all these very well with a great cast of characters that really balance each other out and keep the other characters in line and they really have a great chemistry together obviously we see this with Dan Levy and Eugene Levy playing father and son in the show but also real life father and son as well as Sarah Levy who plays Twyla who is Eugene Levy's daughter and Dan Levy's sister and you really get this familiar sense from everybody in the cast and I highly recommend that you go and check out the making of documentary on the final season of Schitt's Creek once you've finished it, of course. You get a real sense of the amazing behind-the-scenes camaraderie and spirit that made this show such a kinetic and powerful thing to see on the screen. You can tell that every actor is invested, that everybody is on the same page, and they produce season after season of comedy gold that also draws you in and has you emotionally connect with this storyline as they start to grow and to love the town that they're in I think me and my wife's favorite character changed a few times over the six seasons but we really loved Alexis she was probably one of my favorite characters and had one of the best arcs over the six seasons and i also had a soft spot for dan levy's david and particularly his absolute love of food which we will talk about more in just a second and really dan levy has a lot of things to be credited for he ended up winning an emmy for his acting for his writing and for his directing in the clean sweep that we talked about before and this is one of the first tv shows that he's ever written and directed and you can just see his skills continue to grow over the six seasons and find his identity and his creative talent in the episodes that he is creating. This show reminds me a little bit of Parks and Recreation in terms of just its positivity about everything in real life. It just seems like a breath of fresh air in the midst of the 2020 that we're having right now to have a comedy show so focused on positivity on just presenting a group of characters who grow together and grow as people over the six seasons and it's just an absolute delight to watch and i can't recommend it enough one thing i also absolutely loved about schitt's creek was the amount of food in the show This show is absolutely littered with amazing, amazing food. Of course, you have the cafe, which is the place where the Rose family gets their meals and we get a number of amazing, if what slightly interesting combinations of foods. Of course, we have Johnny Rose at the motel. He brings in a number of different improvements over the many different seasons, including having cinnamon scrolls in the lobby. And that is this week's quick bite recipe. I have an amazing, amazing cinnamon scroll recipe that's more like a cinnamon bun for you to try at home. And the bun that you get is fluffy and soft. It's filled with amazing, amazing cinnamon sugar mixture and an incredible icing to put on top. These are an absolute delight and such a treat to eat while you watch Schitt's Creek. So if you want to find my amazing cinnamon bun recipe inspired by this show, Go into this week's show notes. Go on, on all of our social medias, on our website. You'll find that recipe and let us know how you went. Let us know how your cinnamon scrolls went, your cinnamon buns went. Share with us on social media. Send us an email at fans at Absolutely, you've got to try this one. I have made these cinnamon buns about four weeks in a row now, every single day off that I get the chance to. And they're an absolute crowd pleaser and I just can't stop eating them. So this is a must try recipe for you at home and the food continues as David is just absolutely a foodie who just loves and loves to eat and it feels like every single episode of this show has some really great food scenes in it there's also a particular scene that was in the beginning montage of this episode where David and Moira are trying to cook in their kitchen and they don't know how to fold in the cheese what I'm saying is is just like a number of other good comedy TV shows, TV is a great way to incorporate food into the everyday aspects of life that happen in a TV show. And they really use the food in this show to tell a story, to really help us learn and understand the characters. And it's just a marvel of how great this show is that they pay such attention to details, including the food used. In terms of attention to details, The costumes in this show are absolutely excellent, especially anything that Moira Rose wears. The season six finale is just spectacular, but there's just, you see it on the documentary of the making of the final season that every single design element, including the costumes, the food, all of the different details about this show had such thought and care and craft brought into them to create a real lived-in world That we can really invest ourselves in as a viewer and characters that we can really really attach ourselves to and so if that hasn't sold you enough i really can't recommend schitt's creek enough it is a phenomenon at the moment it's just come off winning all the emmys and so yes the hype is real this is a great tv show to keep you company in a tough year like 2020. so This is my recommendation. All six seasons are available, ready for you to watch on Netflix right now. And this is just a heartwarming, beautiful, amazing TV show that I recommend you go and check out for yourself. Okay, the final thing that we're talking about on this week's edition of Quick Bites is the TV show Kim's Convenience. Kim's Convenience tells the misadventures of a Korean-Canadian family running a convenience store. The show is created by Inz Choi and Kevin White based off their play of the same name and it stars Paul Son Hyung Lee, Jin Yoon, Andrea Bang, Simu Lu, Andrew Fung, Nicole Power, Ben Butchman and Michael Musi. This show was another family recommendation with the latest season of the series coming out just this year and four seasons of great TV that we were able to catch up on and what a delight this show is kim's convenience tells of this korean canadian family running a convenience store and this is just another delightful delightful show for you to watch once again as you move along in this show you start to feel like part of the family appa who runs the show and is also known as mr kim umma also known as mrs kim his wife who also runs the store janet their daughter and jong their son And there aren't really too many overwhelmingly huge plot lines running throughout this show. We more just encounter the everyday family life of this family as they move about, running the convenience store, and living as a Korean-Canadian family in Toronto. We see Jong, who is not living in the family home and is working for a car rental, who has a tenuous relationship with his parents, but still sees his sister Janet on a day-to-day basis. We also have Janet, who is going into art photography school, and she also has an up-and-down relationship with her parents, with whom she works at the store. And something about this just feels so universal. Every single element of the family, the marriage between Mr. and Mrs. Kim, the relational dynamics of Jong and Shannon at the Handy Car Wash, the struggles with Janet moving out of home into a new apartment, just these things that are so part of a normal everyday life, seeing represented on screen by this family is just something that will be so universal to everybody who watches. It is just such a joy to see this family on screen. We journey with them as they grow, as they lie, as they trick each other they try and fail to connect with each other as human beings and as family members and all of the different characters and situations that they put themselves in in the name of trying to move along and grow as human beings we have wonderful touching moments of vulnerability and of the family bonding throughout the show and we're left on quite a cliffhanger right at the end of season four and i'm so excited to see what they have coming up for us in the next few seasons. The show is wonderfully acted, it's sharply written, and it weaves in a whole number of relevant and crucial thematic elements and talking points that are relevant to today's political and cultural views and is able to talk about them in ways that don't feel preachy but also don't feel overly simple. And they're able to really explore and wrestle with a whole number of themes in a way that feels natural and a way that feels really really well incorporated into the family life of the Kim family and with that I give it a lot of applause and to its credit Kim's convenience is located in a convenience grocery store and so we do see quite a lot of food elements make its way into the plot of the movie food in this show tells us about the characters we see that Jong and Kim Chi what they eat in their apartment is different to what Mrs. Kim will serve when Pastor Nina comes over for dinner and we laugh and learn with Janet as she tries to cook the cultural Korean dishes that she believes her mom is making from scratch. All of these food elements Play into the characters and play into the storylines of the show and just add into the rich tapestry of characters, themes, and meaning that come from watching this series. So, if you're part of a family, if you're a brother, sister, wife, mum, dad, grandpa, grandfather, son, daughter, well, then this is a show for you. It feels incredibly universal, incredibly relevant, and is a really fun, delightful time again for you to watch. All four seasons are on Netflix right now. So I highly recommend that you go and check out Kim's Convenience. Okay, that about does it for this week's episode of Quick Bites, our 2020 Catch-Up Edition. Just to remind you again that all of the films and TV shows we talked about today are available on Netflix right now. And over the coming few months, many, many amazing films that are going to be prime contenders in the Oscar race are coming out on Netflix. And so this is a great time to start catching up on some of the movies that were going to be released in theaters and that are now coming straight to Netflix because of the coronavirus. So there's plenty for you out there to watch. We hope this week we've given you a recommendation for something that you need to try at home in the coming week or so. Remember to go and check out that recipe for My Cinnamon Scrolls based from the TV show Schitt's Creek and let us know how you went with that. If you love the film and food podcast, why not have coffee with us? Coffee is a website that allows fans to donate the price of a coffee to their favorite artists. The film and food podcast will always be free and available to everybody who wants to listen, but for the price of a small coffee, your donation will go towards helping us get this show on the air and all the associated costs that go along with it. So thank you to everyone who has supported us so far. If you enjoyed this podcast, can I ask you a favor? Can you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player of your choice? These ratings and reviews help us go up the chart on Apple Podcasts and all the different platforms and help us get into the ears of more and more listeners who need to hear our show. So thank you to Real Reviews Film, Archie Beth and Nonna Eats for your five-star ratings and reviews. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We are on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, Podchaser, Podcast Addict. Himalaya, Player FM, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Google Play, Deezer, iHeartRadio, TuneIn and SoundCloud. Basically, wherever there's podcasts, we'll be there and if we're not, we'll get there soon. Make sure you email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. I'll say that again. Fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. And join us on social media. Let us know how you went with the recipe. What did you think of all of these TV shows and movies that we've highlighted today? give us feedback suggest a movie to review the most important thing is to join the conversation until next time goodbye and thanks for listening